2: morning. I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning. Despite all the recent advances in medicine, many diseases still defy treatment. Diseases so rare that few devote the time or the money to find a cure. It's a dilemma that one artist hopes to turn around by taking a closer look at some of the youngest victims. Jim Axelrod will report our cover story.
3: We'll be a team. Oh, no.
2: Yeah.
4: A Allison Buck's son is turning six on Tuesday, which is unleashing some complicated emotions. Every birthday feels like it's another year less that you have. Don't turn six, because then you're getting closer to 10. Exactly. Sam has a rare brain disorder that's often fatal by 10. It's one of 7,000 rare diseases with no
5: cure. I want to get it just perfect.
4: But now there's an effort to put a face to each one of these rare diseases ahead on Sunday
2: morning. Coming soon to the summer screen, a new movie featuring Meg Ryan in an important role, important and unexpected. She'll speak with our Jane Pauley.
6: Sorry. More than 25 years ago, when Harry met Sally, America met Meg Ryan.
7: Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Yes! Yes!
6: How many takes did that take? Yes! Yes! It, it was yes! an, I'm sure it was
8: all day because by the end, who cared what sound I made? Just making all kinds of big sounds. <laughs> oh!
6: Oh! Meg Ryan on Life in Front of and Behind the Camera, ahead on Sunday morning.
2: There's only one Barbara's Streisand, a living legend, if ever there was one. She's out with a new album and visiting Old Hearts
9: with Anthony Mason.
10: Cosine, the greatest star.
9: Half a century ago, Barbara Streisand made her breakthrough on Broadway in Funny Girl. Did you have rituals before you went on the stage? Was there anything you had to you do? You mean pray?
10: That kind of thing? No. No, I didn't. I kind of liked... To be thrust into the moment
9: later on sunday morning back to broadway with barbara streisand
2: christmas in august who ever heard of such a thing
0: Our oh, luke burbank for one
1: where's cry.
0: old saint nick in the summer I'm... well you just might find him and a few hundred friends in branson missouri of all places is Santa here?
5: Oh, of course. Of yeah, course. I, saw him. yeah exactly. I saw him
0: on the bus. <laughs> Ahead on Sunday morning, it's more Santas than you can shake a stick or actually a candy cane at.
4: Give me a ho, ho, ho!
0: Anna Warner guides us through an
2: exhibit of works in progress. Michelle Miller visits a school music program hitting all the right notes. Steve Hartman tracks a Navy man named Ernie who has inspired an army of supporters. Next, children in need of a miracle.
9: And later... You probably haven't been back here much.
2: No, I never walk the streets. <laughs> a visit with Barbara Streisand.
7: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
2: When children are dying of rare diseases that few people are working to cure, a closer look is required, which is just what one committed artist is providing. Our cover story is reported now by Jim Axelrod. Let's
4: do it. Let's do it. His name is Sam Buck, and while his high wattage smile (laughs) and infectious laugh may remind you of a favorite nephew, There is virtually no chance you have ever met a kid like him. Sam, who will turn six this Tuesday, is one of just 250 people in the world who suffer from vanishing white matter disease, a brain disorder that destroys white matter, a substance that helps transmit neural impulses and leads to the loss of motor control. There is no cure and the disease is typically fatal by the age of 10. Every birthday feels like it's a, another year less that you have. Don't turn 6 cuz then you're getting closer to 10. Exactly. There's
6: still so much we want to do with him and so much we want to see.
4: Allison Buck and her husband Nick have kept careful track in the 3 years since their son's diagnosis as Sam's speech has slowed down. What is your favorite part of being in school?
3: Um playtime. <laughs>
4: And his ability to walk slowly eroded, leaving him now unable even to stand.
6: I think it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around the fact that
4: a
3: child as vibrant as Sam could be dying. I'm doing it. You
4: are. The Bucks are trying to show Sam as much of the world as possible in the time they have left. He's been to 30 states and 19 countries. From these Mayan ruins in Mexico to meeting his hero, Formula One race car driver Sebastian Vettel in Texas. He's even managed to squeeze in a meeting with the Duchess of Cambridge. We don't want to waste
6: all our time worrying about what's to come. We know what's to come. We want to be able to enjoy whatever time we have with him.
4: It is not a pretty thought, but it's a real one for parents of kids suffering from rare diseases.
3: Hey, what's your name? I'm Anna. <laughs> ELIZA.
4: ELIZA. ELIZA. 95% of all rare diseases have no treatment options at all. With so few people suffering from them, there is no incentive for research and development
5: of a cure. I want to get it just perfect because this, it really means a lot.
4: As as That's a control. fact not lost on Lucas Colossa, an artist and curator of Beyond the Diagnosis, a collection of intimate portraits of children with rare diseases. Like Bertrand, one of the first kids Lucas painted for this traveling exhibit. He was the first patient ever diagnosed with something called NGLY1 deficiency. Bertrand has
5: hundreds of seizures every day. When I painted the portrait, I took the wheelchair out and I just you know made him look like he's just having a, a good day. And it's not just a picture, it's a real person that I'm dealing with. The objective is to humanize
4: these diseases through portraits of kids like Theodora, who has a fatal heart condition. Megan, who suffers from a rare chromosomal disorder that slows the blood flow to her heart and lungs. And Hannah, who suffers from a
5: rare form of epilepsy leading to progressive loss of motor skills. Maybe somebody will look at this and be inspired to, maybe find a cure for it, and that would be awesome. Beyond the diagnosis, hopes to eventually put a face to all
4: 7,000 of these rare diseases. It's ambitious, but we're going to do it. The idea was hatched by Patricia Welton of the Rare Disease United Uh, Foundation, whose two daughters suffer from rare diseases. You can't look at these portraits and not be moved. You can't. So far, there are up to 60 portraits by artists from around the world, each hoping to do with paint what can't be fully done. By words, You don't just see Gaucher disease, you see Noah. You don't just see Sturge-Weber, you see Ashlyn. You don't just see Mobius syndrome, you see Miriam. Exactly. And that was the point. I've accepted that
3: I'm in a wheelchair and that's where I'm going to be.
4: 17-year-old Austin LeClaire and his younger brother Max are the faces of Duchenne muscular dystrophy, a rare muscle-wasting disease often fatal by the age of 20.
3: Most kids my age with my disability are on death's row. They're basically towards the end of their lives.
4: But the LeClaire brothers have more hope than most kids suffering from a rare disease. An experimental drug a Teplerson seems to be helping. It's not a cure, but it does seem to slow down the progression of the disease. Austin and Max are two of roughly 100 children enrolled in clinical trials. I do believe that this is holding the kids from the edge of the cliff. Jennifer McNary is Austin and Max's mother. She has seen Austin able to maintain certain functions while on the drug and regain others, like raising his arm above his head. (coughs) Yes! Max, one of the first to get a Teplerson, is still walking more than four years later. But in this world of rare disease, hope is an elusive commodity. The path to drug approval is not an easy one, in part because the sample size is so small. I'm uncomfortable with the evidence to date. Four months ago, an FDA panel recommended against approving a until the company provided more data that the drug actually works. If that decision becomes final, it could threaten access to the drug for the Leclerc's. It's almost worse to
8: be shown something that could treat your children and then to be told it could be taken away than it is to just come to terms with having children that are ill.
5: It creates
4: conversations and... Which brings us back like to Lucas Colasa uh, and the moving way he hopes to keep attention focused on rare diseases and pressure
5: on researchers and regulators who may be able to provide hope. They're, you know, trying to do the child justice and the family justice.
4: When we first met him at his gallery in Warwick, Rhode Island, Lucas was putting the finishing touches on the portrait of Sam Buck. Precise, delicate work using
5: a syringe to form images dot by dot. I get pretty involved with it and it becomes very difficult to actually paint because I start to fully understand what this kid is going through and what the family's going through. And then it's no longer a portrait to me. It's... It's really a personal experience.
4: But even Lucas didn't know how personal until he brought the portrait to Sam's family for a look. Yeah, that is just incredible.
11: How amazing is that? Jeez, who's that?
3: Me.
5: Now, <laughs> vanishing white matter has a face. His personality really shows through in the paintings. It so.
3: does, yeah, no, it's, you've captured his
5: joy. A sweet darling face to put on this hideously cruel
4: and destructive Disease. Every cause needs a face. Yep. That's a beautiful face.
3: <laughs>
11: it is a beautiful face.
2: <laughs> and now a page from our Sunday morning almanac. August 28th, 1908, 108 years ago today. A day for bird lovers everywhere to celebrate. For that was the day writer, painter, and naturalist Roger Tory Peterson was born in Jamestown, New York. A lover of birds from boyhood, Peterson believed he could improve on the overly technical bird-watching manuals of the time. It soon became evident that it was possible to identify almost any bird if you knew one, two, or three things to look for on each bird, Uh, in other words, the field marks, as we called them. Still in his 20s, Peterson wrote and illustrated his own field guide to the birds. It was published in 1934. Only 2,000 copies were printed, and I was to receive no royalty on the first 1,000. But for some reason, the field guide just took off almost immediately and was literally sold out within a week. When Sunday morning visited him at his Connecticut home in 1980, Peterson was busy refining his bird paintings, confident that they were truer in their way than photographs. One of the uh, differences between a um, photograph and a painting is that a photograph is a record of a split second at that moment. And uh, the painter gives a composite of his experience. President Jimmy Carter awarded Peterson the Presidential Medal of Freedom that very same year, 1980. Appropriate, since freedom is exactly what Peterson envied about his subjects. Originally, I suppose I uh, reacted to birds because they were such wonderful creatures. They could fly, go where they wanted to, when they wanted to. And I uh, wished that I could do that. Roger Torrey-Peterson died in 1996, a month shy of his 88th birthday. His field guides are still in print, still cherished by bird lovers everywhere. Unfinished works. Now on view. Next.
7: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
2: Now some works in progress. It's an exhibit of unfinished works of art at a just-finished branch of the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. Anna Werner is our guide.
12: One, two, three. Here we go. It's a new
13: face for one of the nation's largest and oldest art museums. Welcome, folks. And a new calling for a familiar New York City Welcome. cultural landmark. Welcome to Met Breuer. Yeah. Thank you. So why did the Met, one of the world's most visited museums, need another location? The Met has actually been collecting modern and contemporary art since its inception. Thomas Campbell, the Met's director and CEO... We want more space you know we want to be more exploratory we want to do more with that in mind the met went looking for a modern locale to expand its contemporary offerings and found the perfect fixer-upper around the corner just a brief stroll away and here we are you know nine minutes walk from the main building in a space that was designed for modern and contemporary so
9: really it it was a great gift
13: You may recognize it as the former home of the Whitney Museum, which recently moved to a new space in downtown Manhattan. It's a landmark structure designed by architect Marcel Breuer, which opened in 1966. The Hungarian-born, German-trained Breuer became well-known for his heavy, sharp-edged, box-like designs, part of an architectural style that's come to be labeled Brutalist. When you look at this building, do you see a masterpiece? Absolutely.
3: (laughs) I'm absolutely in love with this building.
13: Sheena Wagstaff, the Met's chairman of Contemporary and Modern Art, had the job of taking this older, familiar space and making viewers see it with fresh eyes. We wanted
3: to take the building back to the way that Marcel Breuer designed it. And that meant taking off exposed cablings, all sorts of attachments in the walls, even taking the gum out of the um, concrete, which was a a highly um, meticulous job. It's a
13: mundane kind of problem, but it all kind of adds up, doesn't it? Those little things. Yes. The result is a stripped-down, cleaner space, a building that lets the art speak for itself. Just the idea behind the Breuer's first major exhibit, called Unfinished, Thoughts Left Visible. Many of the works in this room, you can really see where the painter stopped. Andrea Bayer and Kelly Baum are the co-curators of the exhibit, featuring works left incomplete unintentionally or given an unfinished look on purpose. Together, they collected 200 pieces from the Renaissance through today from artists including Da Vinci, Cezanne, and Warhol. They allow us to see beneath the surface to earlier layers. Kelly Baum. They give us profound insight into the artistic process. For example, this 1965 Alice Neal portrait of James Hunter Black, a Vietnam draftee. She got as far as his face. Uh, neck and one of his hands. The rest of the picture she only sketched in. The sitter never returned for a second sitting. He went off to war. And yet, Alice Neal signed the painting on the back and exhibited it during her lifetime because she deemed this incomplete painting finished. Perfect. The unusual search for incomplete works took
14: these curators around the world, says Andrea Bayer. We were looking at things, we had heard about things, and we went and investigated them. And when they grabbed us with their story, then we went forward with them. Sounds like a fascinating treasure hunt,
13: art hunt for you.
14: It was. Some of their discoveries tell historical stories, like this painting by the 18th century French artist, Jacques-Louis David. David began this portrait of this young woman, Madame de Pastoret. The revolution came in France, She and her husband were on the monarchy side, and David was a strong revolutionary. And so the portrait could not be finished. And there are certain details in it that, in fact, are are missing, one of which is that she's not really sewing because there's no needle and thread there.
13: So revolution made for an unfinished portrait.
14: A political upheaval interrupted a work of art.
13: So what do we learn from looking at unfinished works of art? They allow us to imagine ourselves alongside the artist, working in his or her studio, painting, scraping, editing, correcting. They allow us to
14: recreate the way in which the work of art was actually made. The person who is making the work has to decide when it is finished, how they want to finish it. Are they capable of finishing it? These are questions that are at the heart of the making of any kind of art.
13: Because art, and sometimes even the museums that house it, can be a work in progress.
2: You've got mail. Yes. Still to come. Some very powerful words. Yes. Meg Ryan on the summer screen.
10: Don't tell me not to live, just sit and put like
2: And? Her name is Barbara. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade.
11: Don't you hate flying?
8: Yes, I do. I just told the most terrible one to the man I'm about to marry. Do you feel that any lie is a betrayal? I said flying. Ah.
11: Oh. It's Sunday morning on CBS. And here again is Charles Osgood.
2: Back in 1993, the summer screen featured Meg Ryan in the romantic comedy Sleepless in Seattle. In a new film this summer, Meg Ryan is making her mark out of camera range. Here's Jane Pauley on Ryan's career, past, present, and future.
9: I'll call you before
3: then. I love you. Love you? You? Sorry.
6: Meg Ryan introduced a new generation to the romantic comedy.
9: You realize, of course, that we can never be friends.
6: In 1989's When Harry Met Sally.
9: And this is not a come on in any way, shape, or form. is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way.
8: I remember reading the script and thinking it was such a delight because it was, the, the dialogue was so fast. I have a number of men friends and there is no sex involved. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You only think you do. It was very old school kind of rhythm. And when I read it, I thought it was music that I would
6: want to play. Oh. Ooh. Are you
10: okay?
6: And more than 25 years later, the deli scene is a Hollywood classic. Oh,
8: oh, 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 God, oh,
6: yes, yes. How many takes did that take? It
8: it was an, I'm sure it was all day because by the end, who cared what sound I made? Just making all kinds of big sounds. (laughs) Yes, oh. Everybody was used to it by then in the deli.
10: I'll have what she's having. Of hanging around
6: in sleepy Ryan's Girl Next Door meets forever. Modern Woman Appeal paired with Tom that Hanks in the 1990s romantic comedies. Hello. Sleepless in Seattle. Hello.
2: You've got mail.
6: Yes. And you've got mail.
2: Those are very powerful words.
8: Romantic comedies in, in particular are not too funny. The notes you have to hit are, you really have to be kind of very specific. It's a very sort of
6: refined little p-
8: place you have to get to. And in a
6: great romantic comedy, maybe the actress doesn't get her due professionally because, well, it just looks so natural. Yeah, it looks easy. Th- those, those are the hard ones to do, though. Don't cry. Ryan Stop. made them look effortless, though she was not a trained actress. I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. How did you become an actor?
8: I, um, I was paying my way through journalism school. Jan- you, you scoffed when I said it before, but you on television in the morning were such an inspiration to me. So elegant, so funny, so smart. So out of her depth. (laughs) So not out of her depth. (laughs) So making everything accessible to everybody. I guess it's hard to hear that,
6: but it is true. Well, (laughs) that's pretty pretty thrilling, but um, your path was meant to be dramatically otherwise. Yeah, I guess so. so. Known as Peggy Hira at New York University. Hold it! I just have to tell you about the Aren't You Hungry for a Whopper Game at Burger King? In the early 80s, commercials oh. helped pay what tuition. Okay, back to the most important reason to come to Burger King, the food.
8: I'd go uptown and do auditions, and then I would write papers. Like, I wrote a paper about my audition for a soap opera, and then I got the soap opera.
2: <laughs> As the world turns.
6: Professionally, Meg Ryan now, but better known to millions as Betsy Stewart, Montgomery, Andropolis. Her first movie, Rich and Famous, sealed her fate as a Hollywood actress. What was he doing there?
8: I don't know, but it was in Time magazine. He robbed some liquor stores or something, but it was politically motivated.
6: Oh, and you were the teenage daughter daughter of Candace Candace Bergen. And that didn't make you just crave no Fame and rich and famous. and
8: no. no, no. I never
6: liked all that. Att- I always
8: felt like that attention is just too weird to metabolize. So I never, I, it's nothing I ever chased. But once I got the parts, I wanted to be good at them. <laughs> I just have one more thing to say to you, Jim Morrison. You have ruined another Thanksgiving. Bastard,
6: and parts you- kept coming.
7: We gotta go! Come back for me with a scratcher! Oh!
6: One of Hollywood's top ten actresses in the 1990s billion dollars at the box office. Not bad for an accidental movie star. Then what happened?
8: It wasn't a plan that I I would turn things down. I don't have to work, which is a wonderful thing to be able to say. So I'd travel instead. And and 10 years ago, I adopted my little girl. I love being a mom. And that's a big part of my life. And, And I think sometimes as an artist, for me anyway, I had to just I felt the real desire to lay, to do nothing, to lay sort of fallow, like a field, you know? And do other things and meet other people and have the terms of life be different than the
6: terms of Hollywood life.
3: But as Meg Ryan has
6: learned, Hollywood fame sets its own terms. My husband once said of public figures, you know, what you withhold, that blank you leave, people will fill it in
7: and they, they don't
6: do it in your favor that is true especially with the internet mm. if you leave if you leave a vacuum
8: garbage will fill it <laughs> i mean
6: it's true ryan's private life made tabloid headlines her marriage then divorce from actor dennis quaid the way she looked or who she was seeing ryan chose to stay above it all there's almost no win in in any of the world of
8: tabloid because as soon as you defend yourself, there's more story. And then more story that's possibly a misnomer too. So, so most of the time, it's just not worth
6: it. So she concentrated on what mattered most to her, being a mom. What about your kids? Do you watch your movies with your kids? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but Meg Ryan is excited about making movies again. Now at 54, she's behind the camera. On Martha's Vineyard, where Ryan spends her summers, she introduced Ithaca, her first movie in the role of director. I'm glad
8: this little movie is gonna make its little way out into the world and say it. It's like a little
6: poem on a postcard.
3: I'm gonna be the best messenger this office ever had.
6: Based on the William Soroyan novel, The Human Comedy, set during World War II, the movie's central character is a 14-year-old boy on the cusp of manhood. Ryan plays his recently widowed mother. There will always be pain in
8: this world, Homer. And a good man will seek to take the pain out of things. And I've always been more interested in being an observer. So I feel now, as a, this one movie, this little movie I directed, I, I felt l- like I came
6: home to myself. With a score by former boyfriend John Mellencamp, featuring her 24-year-old son Jack Quaid, veteran Sam Shepard, and a dear old friend, Tom Hanks.
8: He did me this great favor by coming and playing this little part. And at the end of his day, he says, gathers everybody around. He says, you know, the crew comes around. He says, I know we've uh, we've gotten really close in these last 10 hours together. (laughs) But I just want to thank you for being here for my friend Meg and her first experience. Thank you all. And I mean,
6: that's a, a, a friend. Ithaca opens in theaters next week, and Meg Ryan is planning her next project, a romantic comedy. And you're not in it? No, no, no.
8: I'm just going to direct that. We'll see if I can do it. We'll see if I can pull that off.
2: <laughs> TV or not TV? That is the question. Next.
7: To Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It
2: It happened this past week. A new view of our TV viewing habits. A just-released J.D. Power survey finds that so-called cord cutters, people who have abandoned cable and satellite TV in favor of streaming alone, have the lowest level of viewing satisfaction. Cord Nevers, people who have never subscribed to cable TV and rely totally on streaming video, come in slightly higher. Cord Shavers, viewers who have reduced but not eliminated pay TV services, rank higher still. While Cord Stackers, folks who subscribe to both pay TV and streaming, top the satisfaction list. When it comes to choosing what to see, some folks have cut off their old-style TV. But now with this new study out on a table, will more decide not to disable their cable?
0: <laughs>
2: Coming up, Santa's out of season.
0: Can't oh, oh, no. <laughs> you read
12: the rules?
2: Time to celebrate Christmas in August. With the help of our Luke Burbank and a cast of
0: hundreds. Sure, we all know Santa's whereabouts in December. But what about the summer? Where's he hanging out then?
1: Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You Why,
0: Branson, Missouri, cry. of course.
1: Santa Claus is Here coming
9: in town!
0: No, you're not hallucinating from that spiked eggnog. This really happened. It's called the Discover Santa Convention. Merry Christmas! And just a few weeks ago, it brought more than 800 Santas and Mrs. Clauses to Branson. They showed up on a variety of updated sleighs. Ho, ho, ho. Santa Michael came here from Kentucky in this model. One of the first things I did was Lamborghini doors because Santa has to have a really cool sleigh. It has a key on the back so I can wind up and drive it around to have it look like a toy going down the road. <laughs> They're here to catch up with old friends. We let it grow because we don't want to shave, right? It also covers the three chins because we don't want to exercise either. <laughs> Do a little shopping. You look just like me, don't they? And hone their craft.
7: We're going to do the scales. Ready? La, la,
0: la, la. Because the modern Santa has to have more tricks in his bag than just a jolly ho-ho-ho. There were balloon-tying classes.
5: This is the worst candy cane ever, but it's mine.
0: Tips on doing your makeup. I think your eyebrows are better for Santa. Right. One, two. Three. Even ukulele lessons. I love you, dear. No, I love you Now, a word to our younger viewers who might be confused by the sight of so many Santas doing stuff that doesn't really seem yeah, no, santa Lee. No, no, no. We had it on good authority that the real Santa was in Branson somewhere Is Santa here?
1: Oh, of course. Of course. I saw him him on the bus. Yes, yes, yes. This is the only way that he can really show up for these types of events. We're just decoys, we're body doubles. We
0: We wish you a Merry Christmas. Christmas. Meet some of his helpers. Santa Mickey, Santa Brian, Santa Larry, Santa Tom, and Santa Vern.
2: My inner child wears a red suit,
0: and has a beard,
2: and and I let him out when I'm Santa, and I get to joke and
1: laugh and sing songs.
4: Doc, doc! Who's there? Olive! All
2: Olive of.
1: All of who? Olive, the other reindeer, used
2: to
0: laugh and call him names. And then there's you. this guy. Oh. <laughs> Santa Tim Conahan. He started the convention. He's been a Santa for 47 doing, years, even runs his own Santa Academy. <laughs> what kind of person makes a good Santa? Well, the number one thing we teach in our schools, it's here.
2: Whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter whether you have a beard, it's what
0: you have in your heart. Beyond that, someone will enhance what they're doing. They may get a little nicer suit.
7: Yeah, I gotta have your beard up.
0: And so this week in Branson was practically crawling with bespoke outfitters. What's the price
9: of this? The way this is sitting pretty close is about $1,200, $1,100. Well, if... But you won't regret it. A purchase Santa might
0: want to run by Mrs. Claus. Speaking of which, we wondered, what happens to a marriage when the husband decides to go full Santa? I mean, is this a side of your husband's that you hadn't seen before they started doing Santa stuff? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah.
3: (laughs) My Santa has way more many more beauty products in the bathroom oh, yes. than I do. Way oh, yes. more.
0: <laughs> Trish Parrish and Jenny Scott are both Mrs. Clauses to their Santas, and they teach their own workshops for women.
10: Fluff up Santa's beard,
8: make sure he doesn't have any things hanging down.
3: <laughs> Give me a ho ho ho. ho, ho, ho! Ho, ho, ho! What does that mean? Those are Santa's.
0: Which brings us to one of the highlights of the week, the Santa tug of war. Watch carefully because this is a Santa grudge match. Our time was coming to an end, but there was still one thing I was wondering. Why do you do it?
2: It's a calling, it's a ministry. I do it from the heart and I do it because
0: of the heart
5: what I feel. I do it because I love it. I love being Santa and I love bringing
0: smiles and joy and happiness to people.
5: And notice nobody said for the money, because we're not yeah, in
0: it. exactly for right.
5: Have
2: and I have fun too. with it too. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah.
0: My takeaway from our week in Branson, yes, Virginia, there really is a Santa Claus. In fact, there are lots of them. What
1: fun it is to ride and sing, a tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the
2: way. Ahead, meet Ernie's Army. God bless you, sir. Thank
4: you so much. Ernie
7: Andres! Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
2: Ernie's Army is our name for the band of well-wishers who've been cheering on a most remarkable Navy veteran. Steve Hartman has
1: been following Ernie's journey, step by step. At the age of 93, this is what you call an accomplishment. Just making it down all four steps of the RV is quite a feat. But don't be too impressed yet, because at 93, what's even more remarkable is waking up at 5 a.m. for a nearly five-mile run. But again, don't be too impressed yet, because at 93, what's most amazing of all is that this little jog in St. Simons Island, Georgia, is just the final leg of a much, much longer run that began almost three years and 3,000 miles ago at the Pacific Ocean. I'm running the whole thing, every step of the way. Now, you can be impressed. First time we met Ernie Andrus, he was just outside Phoenix, slowly inching his way through the Sonoran Desert. He would go five miles, get a ride or hitchhike back to his vehicle, then run the next five miles two days later. All for one purpose. We want people
2: to know what the war was all about and what what it took to win it.
1: Specifically, this old Navy man was running to raise awareness for an unsung hero of World War II, a ship he served on called an LST, or landing ship tank. It's how the Allies got heavy equipment onto beaches. There's one you can visit in Evansville, Indiana. And Ernie thinks people really should go.
2: This shouldn't be forgotten. Eisenhower and Churchill both made a similar remark that it's the ship that won the war. Won the war. Yeah. Without them, how could you taken all those islands? How could you even took Normandy?
1: Which is why 70 years later, Ernie was out here returning the favor, all by himself.
3: And I just thought how sad if he had to be doing this journey by himself. But that I joined him was
1: about to change.
3: He ran in Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, and now Georgia.
1: Yeah, I've run 44 legs. He had quite a following the second time we saw him in Waco, Texas. But that was nothing compared to what we found last weekend in St. Simons, where hundreds of people from across the country joined Ernie's army.
2: God bless
4: you sir, thank you so much.
2: The American people are the most loving and generous
1: people in the world. Three years ago, most people thought there was no way a man in his 90s could make it across the country. You got this, you got this. But here he was, on the soft sand of the Atlantic. And as this old sailor stormed the beach one last time, to fervent chants and flying colors, He showed us all that the greatest generation is no less great today.
10: I don't know the jokes he tells.
2: Still to come, making beautiful music. And later, making beautiful music. The performance of the song The Way We Were is the stuff of legend, as is everything about the long career of Barbara Streisand. With Anthony Mason this morning, she goes back to where it all began.
10: Opening night in this theater, the director said to me, you're never going to make it because you're too undisciplined.
3: Miss Marmalstein, Miss Marmalstein,
6: Miss Marmalstein. Miss Marmelstein. Miss Marmelstein.
9: In her first Broadway show, I Can Get It for You Wholesale in 1962, Barbara Streisand had just one number, but opening night, it was the showstopper.
10: Ah, I could
9: bust. The mythology is it was a three-minute ovation.
10: I wasn't counting, so I don't know. I really don't know. But I, all I know is that my salary was $175, and the next day it went up to $350. Don't tell me not to live, just sitting and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. With don't her bring next
9: musical, Funny Girl. Hello, girl. And the movie that was made from it.
10: People who need people
12: are the luckiest people in the world.
9: Streisand would become a superstar. She would never go back to Broadway, except on her records. My memory
5: My memory mountain. Mountain.
9: The Encore, is an album of show tunes with stars like Jamie Foxx, who performs Climb Every Mountain with her from The Sound of Music.
10: It's funny. I used to come on from the other side of the stage, I
9: remember, Mm -hmm.
10: from the wings over there.
9: When Streisand won the role of Fanny Bryce here at the Winter Garden Theater in 1964... Does it feel the same?
10: (laughs) I have to have a moment to feel it. (laughs)
9: Jewish girls with prominent noses weren't seen as leading lady material. But the message of Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl, the critic Pauline Kael would write, is that talent is beauty. I don't
10: necessarily agree. You don't? No.
9: You know you change things.
10: Well, I've read about it. It's interesting because I didn't...
9: Did you not feel like you were doing
10: it? I couldn't feel the power behind what you're saying I couldn't feel really I did that I, I couldn't feel it for a long time
9: Streisand's self-confidence has long waged war with her self-doubt
10: it's like there's two sides of me just like there are two sides to my face mm-hmm. and on one side I can look really good the other side is hit and miss The other side, I swear to you, uh, to this day, I don't know. It's hit and miss. Sometimes I'll look very good on this side. i go, oh, that's a nice picture. Sometimes it's awful. Why do you
9: worry about it so much?
10: Because it was an important part of my life at the beginning, I think. Mm
9: -hmm. Watch how she responded when she was presented with a new caricature of herself at Sardi's, the legendary Broadway restaurant.
10: Uh Aha! Are those my lips?
9: (laughs) I hope you like it.
10: You don't bring me flowers.
9: At 74, Streisand did a brief tour this summer to support her new album. But the only artist to have number one records in six successive decades doesn't really like performing. When you're finished with this tour, I think you'll have done what? A total of about a hundred concerts in your life in my life yeah that's it that's it and you're considered one of the greatest singers of your time that's nice how long have you been here
10: uh, I've been on this property 20, uh, 20 1994 I bought this and well. then the main house 1995
9: Streisand is most happy at the home she shares with her husband James Brolin a compound of three houses on the Malibu coast she built to look like Nantucket.
10: Because I love New England, I love the East Coast, but I don't want to live there. So I just sort of brought it here.
9: (laughs) Do you think about legacy as an artist? Does it matter? Yeah. It does?
10: It does because of my father. I think that is really that his life was cut short Uh. at an early age.
9: So you're keeping him alive?
10: I was in Yentl, I think. Yeah. I, I sort of became my father. Papa? Can you hear me? Papa, can you see me? Papa, can you find me in the night? See, when my mother first saw Yentel, mm-hmm. I showed it to her alone. Can- and the end said, this film is dedicated to my father and all our fathers.
9: Mm-hmm.
10: And my, my mother's first reaction was, why didn't you dedicate it to me? I'm alive.
9: <laughs> Her father, Emmanuel Streisand, a teacher, died when Barbara was just 16 months old. Do you feel at some point you filled whatever you felt missing from your dad?
10: It's a black hole. It's a void that cannot be filled.
9: Do you reach a point where you're comfortable with that?
10: It is what it is and who knows if that didn't make me uh, extra sensitive to what I need as an actress or a singer or a director. Mm -hmm. That's what makes me so sensitive to every little detail. Mm -hmm. It's not fun.
9: Was there a point at which you think you made peace with that?
10: Hmm. I think I made peace with my mother because I understand her Mm -hmm. now. My book, I probably will dedicate it to my mother because without her telling me I would never make it and, you know, I can't be a movie star, and I was odd-looking and Mm -hmm. whatever, um, she gave me something to... Fight for. Uh, It was a kind of. I'll show you, Mom. Gave me a force, an energy Mm
9: -hmm.
10: that I appreciate now.
9: The book that Streisand has been writing is, she says, an effort to correct misleading stories about her, like Mike Wallace's infamous profile on 60 Minutes in 1991. How many years have you been in psychotherapy off and on?
10: Why do you sound so accusatory? I'm I'm not accusing you. Are you against psychotherapy?
9: How did you feel about the 60 Minutes interview?
10: I hated it. The feeling of, like, what a woman probably feels when she's date-raped, only not as bad. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. worse, of course. And he made me cry, I think, asking about my stepfather. And I I don't cry that easily.
2: Were you just jealous of him that he took your mother away?
10: I don't want to, I don't want to cry um I was at summer camp
9: Streisand <sighs> protested okay.
10: I called him up and I said why would you do that
9: the next week acknowledging some critical mail Wallace added we also heard from Miss Streisand she loved it
10: that that was the stab you what he said i loved it when i said i hated it it was a lie
9: before his death wallace publicly apologized but the two never reconciled and streisand doesn't like looking back
10: it's hard to relive my life
9: why is it hard
10: been there done that By the way,
9: except for one nostalgic <laughs> moment we had with her in her old dressing room at the Winter Garden Theater.
10: This was my little room that was private. My dressing table was over here.
9: Uh-huh. The current occupant, Sierra Bogus, who was starring in School of Rock, had decorated the walls with and album covers. Oh my God, look at that. That's you. Oh my God. And on her dressing table.
10: <laughs> no, oh my God. She's got a, she's got a candle
9: she lights to St. Barbara. Oh my God.
10: <laughs> That's quite special. She needs a new one.
9: <laughs> just stop by. Streisand left Sierra a note.
14: With love, Barbara. Yes! Just Barbara. Just Barbara. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Barbara Streisand, for existing and not being creeped out by this dressing.
9: <laughs> I just
10: want to get the feeling of this. Standing here.
9: A star was born on this stage half a century ago.
10: Was it really 50 years ago?
9: And the candle still burns.
10: ti
2: The lessons of music, just ahead.
3: Tea, 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 tea.
7: Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play It at play.it.
2: I started playing the piano at the tender age of five, and I loved it. But little did I have any idea that my time at the keyboard had any way of making me any smarter. But these days, as Michelle Miller is about to show us, thousands of elementary school students are hitting all the right notes.
12: The Mary McLeod Bethune Elementary School sits in a New Orleans neighborhood stressed by violence, poverty, and the after effects of Hurricane Katrina. But don't tell that to the music teacher.
3: Oh, everybody has such a beautiful smile this morning. Good morning.
12: Pat Sylvain Little's music class is a world apart
3: who composed the Four Seasons. Yes.
12: Vivaldi. Vivaldi. And Sylvain Little says there's a lot more going on here than just a piano lesson.
3: It's something about the keyboard. You have so many things you have to do at once. You know, you're playing with two hands, you're trying to read the music, you're trying to count the rhythms, all at the same time. And what the researchers have found is that it sparks the brain.
12: Sparking the brain of a child is what motivated Leisha Lucari to create this course. So that it's all played with the right hand. That's now being taught in 14 schools in New Orleans and 130 in New York City. Lucari is a music teacher on a mission.
11: I think children need to read music. I wanna raise the bar high for them. I want them to be thinking beings while they're playing and not just play it. It's making it a process of thinking about it. It's a process of using their brains.
12: In 1996, LaCarrie read a Newsweek cover story about children's brains and how they develop, how exposure to music rewires neural circuits, how in one experiment, music lessons improved the abstract reasoning of preschoolers. She then spoke to scientists and researchers and asked herself, how could she translate what was happening in laboratories back into the real world? Why is this necessary? It's necessary
11: because children don't have music in their lives. But it's also necessary because of what it does in other areas of education. We have seen their literacy improve. We've seen their language skills in other ways improve. Music sticks. It enhances memory skills. It helps with attention. It helps them focus.
12: Decades of budget cuts had led to the gutting of art and music classes. So Lucari got funding from various foundations, devised her own program and called it Music and the Brain. You're doing it, very good job, I love it. You're doing a great job, keep up that singing. At P.S. 71 in Queens, New York, Claire McIntyre has been teaching the course for 12 years, mostly to kindergarten, first and second graders. I don't want to be a music teacher where it's taught like drill and skill, like let's go, you got to do it again, again, and make it
13: boring. T ta, ta. When the kids come into the room, I want them to walk in with a smile. I want them to leave with a smile. I want them to feel
7: good about it. Mistakes happen every day, and I want them to know that's okay.
12: Most schools discover the program through word of mouth. And when they do, Lucari arrives bearing gifts. Keyboard
11: lab with piano music stands and keyboard stands and headphones. Piano books, teacher's manuals, theory papers, posters that go along with every page of every book. CDs that are instructional and CDs that are for fun listening.
12: And rhythm CDs as well. Here's how it works. Students first sing the melodies—classical, world, folk, and children's songs.
5: Awesome.
12: Next, they learn the rhythms. Give a dog a bone. Then the notes. C C. Along the way, teachers add the history, geography, and languages associated with the music. And this large area right here is Europe. We learned. Farajaka from France and finally practice at the keyboard one or two times a week Beautiful. 30 to 45 minutes at a time can anybody teach this yeah if they're willing to work at it <laughs> I, I would say the only people who can't
11: teach this are people who probably shouldn't be teaching at all
12: Lakari is in constant contact with her music teachers if a technique works in one classroom, she believes it will work in another. But in all the schools, the key is finding teachers who care as deeply as she does. Teachers like Pat Sylvain Little. Pat is um, one of
11: the most beautiful teachers I've ever worked with. So many kids in New Orleans need a way out of no way, And she makes sure they find it
3: nobody fails in her hands. A. Thank you, it's an A. So we have C to A, F to A.
11: I can tell you she saw every child every day. And we watched the ranking of this school go straight up. Her, her kids can do anything.
12: Sylvain Little says if it weren't for these classes, most of her students would never play the piano.
3: Parents will say, I didn't even know my child was studying the piano. Let alone have one at home. I have some children that have told me, I practice on the kitchen table. You know, they sing the letters and and go through the music, and so a keyboard is wonderful, but if you don't have it, it doesn't stop you.
13: A lot of the parents will come to me and they'll say, you know, during parent-teacher conferences, they'll ask me, Ms. McIntyre, should we buy a keyboard? And I always tell them, listen, It's better than video games, it's better than watching
12: TV, and your child really loves it, so why not? Lakari plans to expand Music in the Brain into many more schools. She's ready for battle.
11: There are some principals who don't believe that music is an important part of education, and I wish I I could convince them. I always hope that uh, those principals will find other things to do in life.
12: Who are your favorite composers? Vivaldi and Beethoven. Why do you like them? Because Vivaldi has nice songs. He does? Yes.
11: (laughs) I want to see children do better in school. I want to see children have better lives. But I don't want to belittle that I'm also seeking the joy of music for everybody. I think it's a right. I think it's as important as anything else that they could ever have in their lives. So I want all children to have
7: this.
2: Some of you may have heard rumors lately that I won't be hosting these Sunday morning broadcasts very much longer. Well, I'm here to tell you that the rumors are true. For years now, people, even friends and family, have been asking me why I keep doing this considering my age. I am pushing 84. It's just that it's been such a joy doing it. Who wouldn't want to be the one who gets to introduce these terrific storytellers? And the producers and writers and others who put this wonderful show together. I want to thank all of them, and all of you, our still-growing audience, for all of your support and encouragement. It's been a great run, but after nearly 50 years at CBS, including the last 22 years here at Sunday Morning, the time has come. And the date is set for me to do my farewell Sunday morning. It's September the 25th, after which you can still see me on the radio, The Osgood File continues. Between now and my last Sunday morning, I've got to practice singing that old Weaver song. So long, it's been good to know you. So long, it's been good to know you. So long, it's been good to know you. Been a long time since I've been home. And I've got to be drifting along. I'm Charles Osgood. Please join us again next Sunday morning. Till then, I'll see you on the radio.
5: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Pauly, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey.